Hey, it's Scott Walker here. Welcome to another edition of Freedom Fighters. And boy, one of the Freedom Fighters I'm going to talk about is one of the all-time greats, one of the GOATs. Uh, that is President Ronald Reagan. We just celebrated, in fact, this last weekend. Uh, birthday was the 6th. We were out at the Reagan Ranch in the Reagan Ranch Center. We had Dennis Quaid was in with us on Friday. Uh, Dennis is portraying our 40th president in the new movie. It's going to come out, I guess, sometime in the next year. They were up filming part of it up at the Reagan Ranch. A couple of the scenes where the president is out riding with the actor portraying John Berletta, and uh, as well as uh, the actress, uh, Penelope Ann Miller, who's portraying um, the former first lady, Nancy Reagan. It's going to be a great movie. Uh, John Voight's in it. He actually plays the part of a, a KGB, a senior KGB officer. So it's an interesting way to kind of telling the story from that standpoint of how the Soviets followed Reagan. You know, people forget about this, but early on, even when he was with the Screen Actors Guild, was kind of when he became uh, introduced to uh, the realities of communism, uh, issues that were happening at the time. Certainly was something he was very much against growing up in the middle of the country and uh, uh, born in Tapico, but uh, Illinois, but uh, spent most of his childhood in Dixon, which, by the way, Young America's Foundation, in addition to uh, owning and operating the Reagan Ranch, actually now operates and owns uh, the uh, Reagan Boyd home in Dixon, which is one of just five homes uh, that he and his family lived in. They never owned any of them. They always rented them, um, which is in of itself a whole nother story just about the American success story coming from nothing. His father, Jack, was a decent man when he was sober, but like many people even today, suffered from addiction. So was in and out of work because of his alcoholism. His mother, Nell, did all sorts of odd jobs, uh, from singing to being a seamstress to um, even doing some classes on etiquette and uh, and speaking uh, just to keep uh, her two sons and their family intact. Um, so you can see all these things. I, one of the reasons I love going to Dixon as well as to the, uh, the ranch itself, I call it the bookends. You can see things that influenced him as a kid, it stayed constant with him throughout his life. And uh, so you think about, we celebrated what would have been the 111th anniversaries of his birth, February 11th, 1911, born the same year as my grandfather. My grandfather, Ray Fitch, was a farmer uh, right on the northern tip of north central Illinois, uh, raised on a farm and raised my mother on a farm in between uh, Rockford and Belvedere, Illinois. So not too far away, or just a little bit about an hour north of Dixon. But that generation, just tough, firm, but decent. Uh, you see it when you go to the ranch and you see you know, how small and simple the ranch house itself was. I, I love the fact that the uh, the twin bed frames were the only things left by the previous owners, the Corneliuses and the ranch home. And the president being of that generation uh, wasn't going to throw him away, even though, you know, at that point he'd already been a movie star. He was governor in his second term. He buys this place in 1974. And instead of throwing these two twin bed metal frames away, he zip ties them together. Literally, you can still see the zip ties today, uh, decades later. He zip ties them together, throws a queen size mattress on top. And the president's still too tall, so his feet hang off the end. So to this day, just as it was when he first moved in, there's a wood bench at the end of the bed on his side. And uh, just amazing. It, it As well, when I go up to the garage and I see the 1962 Willie Jeep that he loved driving around, he'd clear the brush, he'd get rocks and stones for the front patio that he built. Um, 
what really caught my attention the first time I was there, and every time I go since, were these jars, these jars of washed out Peter Pan and Jiffy peanut butter jars, just like my grandparents had at their farm and their home, uh, filled with the nuts and bolts and nails. And that's exactly how Reagan organized them. All perfectly organized, all his tools were in place, uh, but this was someone who didn't throw in anything. Uh, that generation, my, my grandfather passed uh, Grandfather passed away in 1974, but my grandmother, Eleanor, what a name for that generation, uh, she went home to the Lord back in 2008, and uh, even in her 90s, she was still making applesauce and cookies uh, for me and my brother and our families, and uh, we used to laugh. Her Tupperware wasn't Tupperware. It was washed-out cottage cheese containers. Uh, they actually work pretty good. If you do it right, you wash them out. Lids are just as tight. But that generation, so all that makes me, every time I go to the ranch, makes me think about how real and authentic. It's part of the reason why students who go to our events at the Reagan Ranch and the Reagan Ranch Center through Young America's Foundation. It's far more than just learning about Reagan. There's great conservative speakers from across the country. Um, in fact, go to yaf, yaf.org uh, and click on the conferences. If you are a student or you have a student in your life, maybe it's a kid, grandchild, niece, nephew, neighbor, kid, uh, someone you want to have an influence on. We do it for college students. We do it for high school students. Starting this year, we're actually going to begin a new program uh, for middle school students. Uh, but all these things tie back again to why I love being at YAF, uh, Young America's Foundation, is because of the connection to Reagan. Uh, I came of age uh, with Reagan. Reagan uh, won the presidency in 1980. For most of that campaign, I was a 12-year-old uh, watching from the sidelines. I, my dad and I had watched the 76 speech at the RNC convention and just knew this was the guy I was drawn towards, uh, even though I wasn't obviously engaged in politics as a kid at that time. Uh, but then all throughout the next eight years, I mean, he was not just our commander-in-chief when the space shuttle went down. He was our comforter-in-chief. He was... One of the things I particularly love and why it's so great sharing uh, with our young people about our 40th president is Ronald Reagan's speeches, whether you read them or you watch them on video or listen to them audibly, uh, Ronald Reagan's comments could be just as relevant today as they were the day he gave them. You think back to 1964, October of that presidential cycle, just days before Barry Goldwater and President Lyndon Johnson were up on the ballot. Everyone knew at the time, it didn't take a leap of faith to know that that uh, Johnson was headed towards a route over Goldwater. Uh, they had unfairly attacked Barry, Senator Barry Goldwater with these attacks. You might remember, I wasn't alive then, but the, these these advertisements where you'd see these nuclear bombs going off and and uh, it, was, it was a very effective campaign, unfortunately. Um, Barry Goldwater, who, by the way, was also involved with YAF, and back to its founder, William F. Buckley, uh, Jr., uh, back in September 1960. But Reagan, at the end of this campaign, whose uh, former actor, uh, who'd been the head of the Screen Actors Guild, who'd done some work uh, along the way uh, with GE, Reagan uh, agrees to give this speech, and this speech called The Time for Choosing. Again, into the campaign, late in October 1964, he gives this speech that in so many ways literally could have been given today. Um, I, I'm always just amazed by that. In fact, you know, one of the stories he told about um, was this 
these businessmen uh, talking about talking to a guy from um, from Cuba at the time. And in the speech, uh, he he talked about how the uh, the, the the gentleman, uh, the two business people, uh, said. Uh, uh, how lucky they were to live in America compared to what he was dealing with communism uh, in Cuba. And the former Cuban uh, businessman said, how lucky you are. He said, I was the lucky one. I actually had somewhere to go to. And Reagan pointed out in that moment, it just personified why, you know, the last place on the earth left to truly protect freedom was the United States and why he throughout, not just in that speech, but through his time as governor, and then as a candidate, and then as president, even in the years after when he'd speak yet to our conferences at YF, he would talk about freedom. You know, he said freedom is never more than one generation, never more than one generation away from extinction. It's not passed on to you in the bloodstream, something you have to stand up for and fight for and defend, and then pass it on to the next generation to do exactly the same thing. He talked about him being fragile, which is so important out there. And so these ideas were things uh, that were, were just as relevant today. I was just talking the, the last few weeks. I've been invited to do a, a series of sessions. I did something with the Hamilton Society over uh, with uh, American conservatives who are working overseas, particularly in London the other day. I did one with uh, the fund um, TFAST uh, had, had a program on this as well, where they ask, you know, is, is Ronald Reagan still relevant in the age of Donald Trump? And I'd say, yes. I mean, I love the things that Donald Trump did, many of which were, were very much aligned with what Reagan did. Significant tax cuts, regulatory reform, um, strong appointments to the federal bench. Um, but, but I think in many ways, Ronald Reagan is just as relevant today as he was not just 40 years ago during the beginning of his presidency, but even before that, uh, as someone speaking out on the issue, as someone who ran for office as governor, as someone who's a candidate speaking out on a, in fact, you might remember the old radio broadcast. Uh, the radio broadcast he did were sponsored by YAF as well back then. And I think it, it's, you know, he fashioned his political career and his presidency around just a, a couple of key things. He talked about lower taxes, smaller government, and a strong national defense. When I think about those things, you know, it's it's so clear to me. In fact, I, I see him when I, every time I go up to the ranch, I think about this. It certainly ties into his Midwestern roots, the freedom and frugality he loved at the, at the ranch. But you think about lower taxes. Forty years ago, this past August, August 13th, 1981, Ronald Reagan signs the largest tax cut in American history. I, I love it. He didn't just sign a tax cut. There was a, a gigantic, about four times as big stack that he signed of, of cuts, the budgetary cuts to offset uh, the reductions or perceived reductions in revenue. Although we found not only after the 81 tax cuts, but particularly in 86, and it drove me crazy. I remember years ago, one of my sons got a textbook that talked about the deficits created by Ronald Reagan's tax cuts. The deficits were not created by the tax cuts. They were created by the excessive spending, the excessive spending that Tip O'Neill and others in the Congress put on along the way. In fact, Ronald Reagan was one of the earliest and longest supporters of a balanced budget amendment to, to make sure that you didn't spend any more than you had. Reagan's tax cuts uh, personified in what many of us call to the Laffer Curve, named after our good friend Dr. Art Laffer, who still connects with 
students at our conferences and oftentimes our lectures for YAF across the country, who, whose grandson, Art Laffer III, still goes to our events, as does one of his granddaughters. Uh, but that whole premise was the idea that actually if you lower the tax burden to a reasonable level, you then put more money back in the hands of the American people and they reinvest into the economy and employers put it back into more jobs. And you actually, in the end, create more revenue. It was just sadly that Congress ended up spending more of that. But, but lower tax cuts worked. Lower tax rates, I should say, worked. And think about how high they were. When Jimmy Carter was rounding out his, his four years of just misery, uh, and we really did have a misery index, talked about being in a malaise, Stagnation, which was a combination of inflate, high inflation and, and a horrible economic growth, about the worst of all worlds from an economic standpoint. Reagan comes in, and, and he, one of the first things he does in those first few months in office is convince not just the Senate Republicans who'd taken the majority along with Reagan's election in 1980, but a significant number of House Democrats. There were, yes, yeah, still some then that were willing to cross lines, um, some of which eventually became Republicans, like Phil Graham from Texas, who was a Democrat in the House at the time, finished off his career as a Republican in the U.S. Senate. But, but they saw the wisdom of doing this. That Reagan went out, and he didn't spend his time in Washington. He went out and used the bully pulpit to make his case to the American people. And they responded. They responded. Why? Because before Reagan's tax cuts, at the high end, the, the top tax rate, was taking seven out of every $10. Think about that. I remember telling some kids years ago, I stopped by Ronald Reagan Elementary School in New Berlin, Wisconsin, on Reagan's birthday back then, years ago when I was governor, to talk about why I liked Ronald Reagan, why as a kid, why I liked Ronald Reagan. And you think, how do you explain tax cuts to a, five, a fifth grader? I said, simple. I asked the kids, imagine if you went to your grandparents' house, you rake leaves, Grandma and Grandpa each gave you 10 bucks, and when you went home, your parents took seven of the $10. <laughs> I told those kids that, and they said, that's not fair. One of them yelled out, why would you even work? I said, yeah, that was exactly what was happening. Not only was it not fair, but it was stifling the economy. When Ronald Reagan signed those tax cuts, and even more after the 86 tax cuts, you saw massive, long-term, sustained economic growth. The economy during the 1980s, during that time, grew by over 4.5%. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, nearly 19 million new jobs were created. He turned things around, turned things around, and that tied in with smaller government. It wasn't just to lower the tax burden. It was to, to rein in out-of-control government regulations, the things that were stifling the economy, stifling the American job creator. Remember Ronald Reagan said this again back to 64 in his Time for Choosing speech. He talked about how no government ever voluntarily reduces itself in size. So government programs, once launched, never disappear. Actually, a government program, government bureau, is the nearest thing to eternal life we'll ever see on this earth. Boy, that was pure Reagan. A basic truth delivered with humor. He talked about this over and over and over again. Contrast that with the inflation being driven up by the massive, massive, massive levels of new spending much of which they're trying to tie into COVID. My goodness, many of the schools and state and local governments across America still haven't spent the COVID spending from years ago, from the beginning of the pandemic, let alone all the trillions more that Joe Biden and the radicals in the House and the Senate want to push through under this so-called Build Back Better program. 
It's putting America trillions in debt. The national debt, at least according to one source, is over $30 trillion. $30 trillion. That's about 30 times what it was during the first year of Ronald Reagan's presidency. It's just outrageous. And so you can see the contrast. And then the third tenant, he, he was for, throughout his time in public life, a strong national defense. As he put it, peace through strength. With what you see happening with the movements by Russians around the Ukraine uh, border, when you see the absolute catastrophe uh, that is almost universally acknowledged, uh, the withdrawal in Afghanistan, when you see the problems in the Middle East with pandering and appeasing the Iranians, um, you see a a scenario very similar to what we saw in the late 1970s. Again, as I mentioned, I was a kid. I can still remember having a yellow ribbon around our front tree for 444 days. Those are the number of days that the Iranians held Americans hostage, one of whom was Kevin Hermanek, who now lives in north-central Wisconsin. Back at the time, was from Oak Creek. He was in the unfortunate circumstance of being a Marine who was one of the last people assigned to the, uh, to the uh, embassy before um, it was taken over and they were held hostage. We, we just felt depleted. I got to tell you, there's a reason why the Iranians, minutes after Ronald Wilson Reagan took the oath of office as the 40th president of the United States, released the hostages. They didn't want to mess with this guy. Peace through strength. He rebuilt the military. He invested significantly. He talked tough. He didn't back down. He walked out of the uh, summit in Reykjavik uh, because uh, Mikhail Gorbachev would not... Uh, buy into the strategic defense initiative that his critics called Star Wars. Um, but it didn't matter. He didn't back down. And, and a year later, they were moving in the right direction. And a year after, literally months after, uh, he uh, ended his two terms as president of the United States, we saw the fall of the Berlin Wall and then the eventual fall of the Soviet Union and communism all throughout Europe led predominantly by Ronald Reagan with the help of Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister of England, and Pope John Paul II, who himself was from Poland, who understood what was at stake with communism. I I can't believe this, but the other day I was amazed. Bill Meyer, who surprisingly, uh, even as a liberal, has been with us on free speech issues, actually put out something where he pushed back at, at this younger generation, at least many in the generation, we're talking about communism and socialism, particularly communism, as though it's such a great thing. Bill Meyer, again, he was no conservative, but said, are you crazy, you know, picking on us as boomers? It's because we live long enough to see that it doesn't work. The old Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc countries, heck, we see it in Cuba and Venezuela today. These policies just don't work. And unfortunately, we're headed in that direction. But the good news is, not just to celebrate Ronald Reagan's birthday, but to be reminded as a nation that as bad as things were with Jimmy Carter and the failed policies we saw across this country when it came to high tax rates, to uh, the overreach, particularly of the federal government, and to the just appeasement that we saw of this kind of just, we're not going to step up and, and push back in any regard on a national stage. Those things changed when Ronald Reagan came into office. And that should give us hope for the future. Uh, Not just with a person like Ronald Reagan, although he was a key part of that, but with those policies, uh, we can win again. We can be back on track. And by win, I don't mean politically. I mean win in terms of as a nation. 
we can see the kind of sustained economic growth and prosperity for all income classes, for all races, for all different backgrounds that we saw during the Reagan's presidency in the years that followed. We can see that we can operate with a government that's more effective and more efficient, uh, that, that gets out of this cumbersome bureaucracy, and that we most certainly can live a peaceful life by being strong, not by being buying into this weak appeasement woke agenda that we see from so many radicals today that that Joe Biden seems to be bowing to over and over again. And so I tell you this, in fact, on that policy alone, it was real simple before. And people forget this when 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 things when Ronald Reagan first took office. It's easy to forget this, but when Ronald Reagan came to office in 1981, Soviet-styled communism appeared to be as strong, if not stronger, than American-styled democracy. They were a major force, not only in Eastern Europe, but in Southeast Asia, in Africa, South and Central America. Some of the same issues we see with China as we speak. The old get-along-to-go-along approach just didn't work. And I remember early on in his presidency, a year or two in, he called the Soviet Union the evil empire. The evil empire what I and many others call China today, the Communist China, Chinese Party, the CCP, not for me, that's part of our aggressive efforts here, the evil empire. At the time, the media and Democrats, often indistinguishable, wailed that the phrase was reckless. But you know, it was just typically, it was a typical Reagan response. Simple, clear, and true. What else do you call a totalitarian system that has deprived millions and millions of people all across the globe of their freedoms? I remember at the time they they asked for what his strategy was for fighting the Cold War. And for those who don't know, Cold War started effectively after the end of World War II and didn't end until right after Reagan left office and communism fell. But they asked what his policy was for fighting the Cold War. And he said, simple, we win, they lose. It wasn't just some glib line. He actually meant it. And that's why he stuck through all the way through, even at Reykjavik in the discussions he had with Mikhail Gorbachev. We win, they lose. Before the Reagan era, Americans were depressed and uncertain. By the end of his time in office, we were optimistic and confident. Reagan had stuck to his simple formula. Lower taxes, less government, strong national defense. It worked. It worked. And it can work again today. Well, that's uh, another episode of Freedom Fighters. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. Keep fighting for freedom.